Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. ...who broke into a house. And he didn't realize that the lady of the house was in the house, and she confronted him. And she quoted a scripture over him. She said, Acts 2.38. And he froze. So she called 911 and the cops came and the cops said, what's going on? Why did you freeze? So she says, it was easy. It was the scripture I quoted over him. He said, what scripture? She said, the scripture I quoted over you, Acts 2.38. He said, oh, I thought you said, I have an axe and I have 2.38s. <laughs> so, so. Is that funny? (laughs) When I travel, people often ask me about us Americans. And they say to me, do Americans work hard? And I say, Americans, before they work hard, they work smart. If you give an American a task to do, they will always figure out a better way of doing it, and then they will treble their output. And perfect examples of that would be someone like Steve Jobs. If I ask you to all take out your cell phones in your, in your wallets or your purses or your pockets, you would probably pull out a cell phone that, has, that is a smartphone of some description. And that was typical of Steve Jobs, who invented things that were smarter and then multiplied them so that everybody could benefit. Henry Ford, most of you came here today in a car that came off a production line. When people were putting cars together one at a time, Henry Ford had a vision to have a production line. And many of our great grandfathers drove Model T Fords. And Henry Ford had incredible, innovative ways of motivating people to get more out of them. If you look at Elon Musk, he's produced cars that that people arrive at church without gas. And he puts a space station resurrected back in action. And he's shooting higher and higher, and he doesn't always hit, but he gets there eventually. Those are people who have come up with solutions. Now, I want to say this. There's a difference between being a problem solver and becoming the solution. The problem solvers are like mathematicians, but they work at the equation. But becoming the solution, you are both the equation and the result. Now, today I want us to focus on becoming the solution. You might say, well, how does that work? Well, aspect number one, God will take you out of your comfort zone. God will take you out of your comfort zone. Do you remember Deborah in the Bible? Deborah was an incredible woman of stature. In the nation of Israel, she was probably the equivalent of a Supreme Court justice. But it says she judged Israel, but she was a prophetess as well. And incredibly, the nation saw the mantle of prophetess and recognized that on her. Now, at that time, there was a famous general by the name of Barak. 
And she summoned Barak. And she began to prophesy over him. And she prophesied and said that the Lord says, you will go to battle. You'll go to war. And he turns the tables on her and he says this. Judges chapter 4 verse 8. Then Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go with you. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, surely I will go with you. Now, this was no, going to battle was not her wheelhouse. She was a prophetess and a judge. But she rose to the occasion, and God took her out of her comfort zone, and they went ahead, and they, they took on the, the whole challenge of the Phoenician uh, Canaanites at the time, which was the mightiest nation on earth at that time. And they went into battle, and they faced a vigorous onslaught. But they succeeded and had the triumph. And the first things that were out of Deborah's mouth when the battle was over was this in Judges chapter 5, we, uh, verse 3, we read, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. God took Deborah out of her comfort zone and allowed her to become the solution. She didn't look for a solution. God allowed her to become the solution. But the first thing she did was give praise to God. What about us? Are we happy for God to take us out of our comfort zone and cause us to become the, aspect, um, the solution? So brings us to aspect number two. If we're going to be the solution, we need to be seeing with eyes of faith and prophetically. Look at Joseph in the Bible. Joseph never stopped seeing prophetically from a young boy until he stood before Pharaoh. And en route, he prospered Potiphar and placed all, it says he placed all he had in Joseph's charge. The word tells us the Lord prospered the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. And then when he landed in prison on trumped-up charges and when he was slung into prison, immediately he saw the need in the prison and began to serve it and became the solution. When he finally stood before Pharaoh and for the nation, he came up with a spiritually inspired storage log logistical plan which overtook the nation. Because there was a drought coming and there was a crisis impending. And it says in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 49, Thus Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. He became the solution. When I started out many years ago carrying my cross and bowl across South Africa, which I didn't know at the time, would take me into more than 30 nations of the world. When I was on those streets day after day, I used to hear these words, give me, give me, give me. And, and that's quite a, an overwhelming thing because Jesus said to give to all who ask. And I didn't know what to do. And in those days in South Africa, um, they used to have a little packet of soup that you put with boiling water. It was called Royco cup of soup. So I stashed these Royco cup of soups in my 
packs and my pockets and what have you, and everyone who asked me to give them, I gave them a Royco cup of soup. But it bothered me. And so eventually, after some years, I walked through 67 towns and cities, and we saw some of the, the, the entire cities come to revival. I don't mean a sign on the, on the, on the wayside pulpit, um, revival here next week, because that can never happen. If God doesn't show up, we toast. I'm talking about cities that came to sustained revivals for six years. But when I got to Cape Town, it bothered me. And I said, God, we're going to build a monument to you. And we had um, an explosion of praise with top worship leaders. And then we had people praying on hundreds of street corners in downtown Cape Town. And then this was the, the gem that came. God said to me, I want you to hold a Jesus junction. And I want you to give everything to everyone who asks. And so we would gather the churches there at sunset every evening, and we would go on until one o'clock in the morning. And we would worship there. You can see the people worshiping in the night. And that's me preaching on green, the famous Green Market Square in, in, in downtown Cape Town. As you see, I had hair in those days, and it was <laughs> quite curly, and it was a nice color too. But we took homeless people and we found them jobs. We shaved them and put them in suits. We, we took street children and we, we reunited them with their families. We gave money to people. We gave salvation to people. We washed people's feet. We, we, we cried with them. We, we helped people with every need they had. And so we... Ask God to help us to become the solution. So we need to continually look with the eyes of faith prophetically and allow God to make us the solution. Aspect number three, see yourself as God sees you. See yourself as God sees you. There's a song which we sing in worship quite often. And it goes, I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. So often we have allowed things that people have spoken over us and defined us to define us, tried to define us. The teacher who told you you were stupid, I want to say to you today, if anybody ever spoke that over you or an uncaring adult, I bind those words. Because you are who God says you are. You are not stupid. You are precious. You're, the word of God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are precious. And you are not forsaken. Look at David in the Bible. Other people saw a shepherd boy, but God saw a king. David arrives in the, in the battle lines. Even his family didn't recognize him. His brothers say, what are you doing here? Why are you messing around? Who's looking after the sheep back home? They could not see it. But David arrived there and said, is there no cause? And God allowed David to become the cause because he became the solution. Israel was locked in, in battle. And Israel said, the giant is so big. David says he's so big, we can't miss him. David went to a cave and saw a solution 
when there was actually the potential of an amazing mess. And David got to the cave of Adullam, and it says this in 1 Samuel 22, everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is discontented gathered to them and he became the captain over them. That word captain in Hebrew is sah. It means the head person, the keeper, the Lord, the shepherd. You see, David was a type of Christ. And he arrives at this cave with 400 men that we've just read about. The can't works, the won't works, and the don't works. <laughs> but David becomes their solution. You see, 400 men in the world's eyes that were all losers, and David was the, became their solution and became the design that would usher in the lineage of Jesus and the plan for mankind. He took those nobodies and made them into mighty men because he became their solution. Now, here's an interesting fact. The cave that these men were in is 13 miles west of Jerusalem, two miles south of the scene of David's triumph of Goliath. And I want to say to you, some of you feel you're locked in your darkest hour. Sometimes your darkest hour is right next door to where your greatest moment of victory will be. And if you're here today and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling you're locked in the cave, your Goliath is about to fall just right next door to where you are now. You are on the edge of a major breakthrough. I want you to be encouraged. We live in a messy world, but God calls us to be the solution. Then aspect number four, and I don't want this to be oversimplistic or too obvious. Then there was Jesus. Jesus, the solution to everything. Around about this time each year, when we were a little bit further back in time, we would pull out all our albums and dust them off. But now there's no albums, and then there were CDs, and now there's no CDs either. And so now we call AI, and we dust it off. <laughs> and Faith Hill begins to sing a song. The baby changes everything. Because Jesus is the solution genuinely to everything. Because when they're stuck and there's an embarrassing moment and there's a crisis, suddenly 5,000 people just get fed. When the boat is sinking and Jesus is sleeping in the back, he's the solution to everything. When it comes to breaking the bondage of legalism and law, Jesus came to do that, turning the principle of entitlement of the day on its head by washing the disciples' feet, becoming servant leadership. You see, he became the solution by exposing the legalism of the law and showing what a personal relationship with the Father could look like. An almighty God who incidentally is awesome and to be revered. But he took that impersonal God and made him a loving heavenly father by being a son. And he spoke against inflexibility. If you look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst. 
and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. You see, Jesus' servant heart was the solution highlighting how we can operate in that mantle. You see, the wine, the new wine is the Holy Spirit. It's the flexibility. This is not about coats and jackets. It's about us being flexible so that we won't tear, so that we won't upset. There's a fresh spirit beginning to move on the earth, and we see it all the time, and it's wonderful, and God is visiting. Harvest Church back home, where Denise comes out of, she was so naughty they sent her out. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding The other Sunday morning, they were just worshiping like we did this morning, and suddenly the Holy Spirit dumped on them. They had a guest preacher. They didn't even know if the guest preacher should preach. Suddenly, the glory of God was in the house, and it was the people were falling all over. The Spirit of God was on them. Just up here in Alabama, a little girl comes to get baptized on a normal Sunday, and all of a sudden, they look around, and 250 people have been baptized. This is now. Just the last few weeks. We saw it up north in the Carolinas earlier this year. We saw how they just have a normal uh, worship time at a university. And all of a sudden, the glory of God falls and people come from all over the world until you give it to the administrators and then they close the revival down. Lord help us. But I want to say, Jesus came. And showed us to be flexible. He was the solution, and so can we be. Be flexible, don't miss it. Then I want to say this. It may look different. It may look different. Do you remember way back in the 50s, if you were around? Some of us were. The people who sang songs had slicked back hair, like Frankie Valley. And Elvis. And then these guys came along. (laughs) And they looked different. They dressed different. Their hair was different. Their music was different. And they began to change. And I want to say, when the Lord calls you, it may look different. I was a pastor in a respectable suburb in Johannesburg. I had sun filter curtains in my offices and the parking lot was full of Mercedes Benzes and BMWs. And then this. That's me heading up the California coast. Because Jesus said the way up is the way down. And he said it may look different. And he may call us to be and look different. There was a wonderful guy with his three friends in the Old Testament. His name was Daniel. And he had three friends. And they refused to bow the knee to foreign gods. And I want to say, Christians, we're in a day that we need to refuse to bow our knee to foreign gods. The voices that are taunting us in this day, we will not bow the knee to. We know whose flag we fly, and it's the flag of King Jesus. We're not going to raise every handy flag that comes into our hand when it comes. There comes a time that we need to stand up, and these youngsters did. 
the king was going to put them on a special ration. Their handler was too scared to stand up to the king. And so they talked him into holding back the food. And it says this in 1 Daniel chapter 15, uh, 1 verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and the wine that they were drinking and kept giving them vegetables. All this time, they were smarter in all the intellectual quizzes and IQ tests that they were asked and they, they refused to bow the knee to foreign gods. They looked better because they chose to stand and be courageous for the king and the kingdom's sake. They became the solution, and they looked different. The kingdom was being persecuted, but they stood. How about us? Are we better? When you rock up, do people say you're different? We can see those Christians have got something different. They carry a mantle because they are the solution. They don't add to the problem. They are the solution. And it happens all the time. And no matter what you're in, you can turn in an instant. Look at Peter's mother-in-law in the Bible. I mean, this is quite a big deal. They get to Capernaum, and Peter's mother-in-law is really ill with a fever. It says here in Luke chapter 4 and verse 38, Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him, him being Jesus, on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, if you're in a chauvinistic world, um, just cast that out of your mind. It's kind of hard. I mean, this is a big deal. This girl's really sick. I mean, you know, she's down and out. They call the big guns. Jesus comes in, lifts her up, and immediately she's got to serve them tea and coffee. I mean... It's quite rough. But in a moment, she moved from being the problem to being the solution. And we can do the same. She instantly moved in that role. Now look at the, the folk that we've all looked at this morning. Three things they all had in common. They had availability. They had a cause. They had unselfishness and gave the glory all to God. And we need to operate with those spirits as well. We can all be the solution if we are just available. John and Jane were here recently and they went up and they spent a few days up in, uh, in Georgia with a girl by the name of Ina Richards. Ina was in our church back home in South Africa. The, incidentally, this is home for me as well, but I have another home as well. And she was just an ordinary housewife who said, God, look at the unemployment. It's 40%. These people are unemployable. What can we do? And she started a thing called Work for a Living, where she took unemployable people and began to train them, give them basic life skills, and found them jobs. So much so that the big mining houses came and said, come and tell us what you're doing. And now she has 400 stations around the world that equip people in Work for a Living because she became the solution rather than wringing her hands in horror. And we can too. But as I said, it won't always be easy and it won't look the same. This week, Carol and I watched a message from one of the churches we visited in England. 
And it was this girl who we've known for a number of years, who wants to walk closer with us. When she was young, she was a teacher and her husband was a lawyer. And God came upon them in their success of everything and said, I want you to forsake all and follow me. I want you to go to a Russian-speaking place called the Ukraine. And I will show you what to do. And they went there. And they established against all odds. The Russians thought that they were American spies. The, the, the Muslim mafia came and held them up at gunpoint in their house and told them, if you're not out tomorrow this time, we're coming to shoot you. They got harassed. The people were uh, suspicious and, and discouraged. And yet they started a clinic for mothers who've had babies out of wedlock, started to minister to them. They started to counsel girls. They started a preschool. They started a church work. They began to do all of these things, and their town was so depleted, nobody believed it. Their town is called Rennie. It's on the border with Poland. They started a thing called Celebrate Rennie. The whole town, they had them doing festival, dancing in the streets, and they made them believe in themselves. Not long ago, they went to her father-in-law's funeral outside of the Ukraine. And while they were at the father-in-law's funeral, her husband said, I'm not feeling well. Within a week, he was dead from COVID. They have five children. And she said, God, she said, I went to the beach and I cried. I said, God, it's over. My life is finished. And God said, no, I called you separately to your husband. And she said, on that beach, I wept in the sand and I stood up and I realized I would become the solution. People said to her, don't come back to the Ukraine. They won't let you in. She said, by faith, she booked five air tickets for her and her children. And they flew back and the people let them in. And they started working with re the refugees at the border. She said the shops were stripped. She said we had a little bit of food. We took the food out of our house and we started feeding them. And the children said, what are you doing, mom? We're going to starve to death. And she said, we felt a little bit like Elijah and the widow. And she said, but we fed them and we fed them and the shops were empty and we had no food. And she said, suddenly a truck stopped outside our house. People from Poland had brought a truckload of food. She said, we'd never had that much food in our house. She's a widow. She wants to be a solution. And she says, we still take eight or nine people in every night and we house them and we feed them and we send them on their way across the border and we continue the work that God has called us to do. And we, she sent us a picture this week. Carol and I sat and we wept as she got back to the Ukraine, how the people in their work began to welcome them. Now, God may not call us to do that. He has something for each of us. If you can just bring up the next photo. I was born in a homeland called the Transkai. This famous man was born in the village next to me. Brian was born there as well. He was incarcerated for 27 years on an island. He never became bitter. He blessed those who cursed him. He kept no score of wrong. 
He brought his enemies alongside him. In fact, this photograph over here is his inauguration as the president of South Africa. And the man standing next to him in the photograph was his prison warder. He became the solution for a nation because he didn't allow those things to overtake him. And we all have things that life dishes out to us, but we can choose how we're going to operate. And God has a plan for each of us to be a solution. And he's calling us to that. But you see, sometimes it's not what we say that defines us, it's who we are. There were two famous men. The one came from a background and his activity within this nation. And the other one was British. The one was Albert Einstein. The other one was a, come a come comedian by the name of Charlie Chaplin. He was a household word around the world in the days of silent movies. He made everybody laugh. He made everybody cry. Everyone loved Charlie. And one day Charlie and Albert met. And Einstein said to Charlie Chaplin, he said, what I admire most about your art form is its universality. You don't say a word, and yet everyone understands you. And Charlie Chaplin said this to Einstein. He said, that is true. But your glory is even greater than mine. The whole world admires you, even though they don't understand a word you say. <laughs> what about you? They say in the world, if you're not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem. In Christ, I don't believe that at all. If you are a child of God, you are who he says you are, and you can be the solution. But you have to be like all these heroes of the faith that we've looked at this morning. So let's just, let's just pull this together as we, as we land. Like Deborah, allow God to take you out of your comfort zone. Like Joseph, we need to be seen with the eyes of faith prophetically and continually. Like David, see yourself as God sees you. Not that which was spoken over you. Not all those things. You are who he says you are. And then I want to say, it may look different. But be prepared. It's just going to be fine. So let us all become ambassadors of solution. God bless you. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we bless you for your belief in us. We thank you, Father God, that we didn't choose you, but you chose us. And so, Lord, we pray for grace to become greater ambassadors of the solution. I want to say this. You cannot become an ambassador of solution in God unless you know God, unless you know Jesus. Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, unless a man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Many people have known about Jesus, but they don't know him. 
You've lived in a house where your grandma had faith and your mother had faith and your dad had faith. My dad was a minister, but I didn't know Jesus. The day came that I had to receive Jesus. I had to be born again. And maybe today's your day. Maybe you've known about Jesus. Maybe you've sat in church all your life. As people say, you can sleep in a garage your whole life. You won't become a motor car. And so today, if you've come and you don't know Jesus, I want to say to you, don't go home without Jesus today. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Many people have believed in their hearts, but they've never confessed with their mouths. So if that's you and you've come today, I, I want to say to you, I'd love to shake your hand and welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. If that's you and you want to say, today's my day, Dave. I, I, I need Jesus as my savior. I want to confess him. Just raise your hand quickly where you are. And I would love to pray with you and shake your hand. Is there anyone here that needs to do that? Just pop your hand up quickly. If your heart's pounding, that's a good moment to pop your hand up. Okay. Well, then that's both good and bad. It's good that everyone here is saved. It's bad you didn't bring your unsaved friends this morning. But I want to respond because the word says that when we preach the, the word, things need to follow. And I would love to just cement this word within your heart. Just focus on Jesus. If you want to say, God, I've realized that I want to be the solution. I pray that prophetically you'd give me fresh eyes. Not the old eyes that I've had that I've walked around with. Even though I've loved the Lord, even though I know the Holy Spirit, I pray for fresh eyes. Like David, no matter how severe the situation that I would walk in and prophetically see and become the solution. Not Joseph. And so if that's you and you want to say, yes, Dave, I want a fresh anointing to be the solution. Just stand where you are. I'd love to agree with you if you could. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Just put your hands where they're comfortable. There's folks still standing, so I'll just give it a moment. I once did an altar call in a church in Cape Town, and two people came forward, and the Holy Spirit said to me, just wait. By the time I'd finished, there were 72 people standing in the front. So I've learned just to, just to give the Holy Spirit time. It's a wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, that we can all be your solution. Not problem solvers. Be the solution. So just place your hands where they're comfortable. Reach out in front of you. Father God, I speak fresh anointing upon everyone today. All of those standing and those that are standing in their hearts as well. Just thank you that you're doing fresh things in people's lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just speak fresh mantle on Mike and Janice today. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for their faithfulness. Just feel like sometimes you've limited yourselves where yourself where others have not limited you. But God says, no. This is a new moment in Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for faithful couples who love you, Lord, and are prepared to, to be used by you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. just want to say, God says his hand is on you. I understand. I understand. But there's a victory. And God is the God of the victory. You'll ring the bell of glory in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I speak blessing on each one. The new usefulness, the new solution in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, Joe.